More than 100,000 people are on the national transplant waiting list. 85% of them need a kidney, 11% a liver. Joining me today for a discussion about transplantation and what we can all do to help are three experts in the field. Dr. Parsi Vagafi, Chief of the Division of Surgical Transplantation, Dr. R.G. Mufti, Medical Director of Liver Transplantation, and Dr. David Wojciechowski, Medical Director of the Kidney Transplantation Program. Welcome. Dr. Vagafi, April is National Donate Life Month, and we're aware of statistics like the fact that every nine minutes, someone is added to a transplant waiting list. What would you like people to think about during this month? What we do in terms of giving someone a second chance, whether it's a, a new heart or a new kidney or a new liver or new lungs, is really based upon uh, the selfless act of a donor, whether it's a deceased donor who signed up on their driver's license years ago or the family that comes together in, during a, a time of much turmoil to make the decision uh, um, to um, proceed with the gift of life. I feel like myself and Dr. Mufti, Dr. Wojciechowski, we're all here kind of for the ride and able to help pass on that gift of life, but it's really uh, the donors who make this all possible. And um, it's, a, it's an important month for us to recognize their contribution um, that's uh, helping save uh, thousands of lives in this country every year. Dr. Mufti, when you're caring for patients with liver disease, what makes the decision whether you continue to treat them with medications or whether or not you progress to putting them on the list for transplantation? The majority of patients we transplant are transplanted for cirrhosis or advanced scarring of the liver. We divide those patients into compensated cirrhosis, where they, don't, they may have advanced fibrosis or scarring of the liver, but they don't have overt signs or symptoms of liver disease. The median survival for a patient with compensated cirrhosis is about 12 years, whereas for a decompensated cirrhosis is only two years. They're really on a continuum. And we see where they are on that continuum and make a decision about whether they are eligible for transplantation. The other group of patients that we think about are patients with uh, liver cancer, most commonly hepatocellular carcinoma. You can have patients with advanced fibrosis or scarring or patients without um, uh, cirrhosis, for example, with hepatitis B, who may have liver cancer. And it's clear that those patients have better outcomes with transplantation. Dr. Wojciechowski, how do you decide whether to continue to treat a patient medically for kidney disease or whether to progress to transplantation? For kidney transplantation, the decision about actually moving forward with the transplant, particularly for deceased donors, is really much based upon how long the patient's been waiting. And again, that's because we have an alternative therapy that's available to keep the patient alive uh, you know, in terms of dialysis. And if a patient otherwise meets criteria, we typically elect to list them for kidney transplant and if they have a living donor, proceed with that. Otherwise, we unfortunately have to wait sometimes several years before they may get a deceased donor transplant offer. Patients on dialysis tend to have a very high burden of cardiovascular disease. We know that when you undergo a transplant and you restore normal kidney function, we can reverse a lot of that um, long-term, those long-term consequences of being on dialysis. And what we can usually achieve with the kidney transplant compared to dialysis is a longer life as well as a better quality of life. Dr. Mufti, if you talk to patients being evaluated for transplant, they'll talk about being on the list. What is the list and how does that work for transplant patients? 
liver transplantation, unlike kidney transplantation, we don't have a replacement therapy. Patients are placed on a list and organs are allocated by how sick they are. And the score that we use is called the MELD score, which is a composite of the kidney and liver function. And based on what their MELD score is, they will take their place on the list. The sickest people, i.e. the patients with the highest MELD scores, will be offered those organs first, and then we essentially work our way down the list. Dr. Vagafi, what does the term living donor mean as opposed to a deceased donor in transplantation? Deceased donors are the provide the largest number of organs in this country. Um, patients who have suffered uh, brain death or uh, a significant neurological injury and their family chooses to allow them to proceed to donation. Um, and in contrast to that, um, we have living donors and it implies exactly what it means. It's a friend or a relative or an altruistic, someone who's just coming forward to donate an organ uh, to allow someone to have a second chance at life. And the ability to remove one kidney uh, technically is um, much easier because the liver is one organ. And so that organ has to be split in half uh, for donation to proceed, which is a much more technically challenging procedure. Dr. Mufti, I've been at UT Southwestern since the liver transplant program started here. And what I've seen over time is this marked improvement in outcomes. What's been driving those improvements in outcomes, not only across UT Southwestern, but nationally? Liver transplantation is a relatively young field. The first transplant was done in 1963. And then in 1979, um, we had cyclosporin, which is um, a, um, an immunosuppressant, which we had less episodes of rejection and uh, fewer uh, infections in patients as well. And subsequently, there's just been a refinement in technique, and we're better at looking after patients in the pre-transplant phase and then in the post-transplant phase as well. Dr. Wojciechowski, what's driving the improvements in outcomes for kidney transplant patients? If you looked in the 80s before cyclosporin was widely available, uh, the rejection rates were well over, you know, 70, 80%. Cyclosporin significantly reduced that risk of rejection. And, and then in the 90s, tacrolimus uh, somewhat replaced cyclosporin. When that was introduced along with mycophenolate, we saw rejection rates in the kidney world drop to 7, 8% in the first year. And uh, when those rejections occur now, they're primarily very uh, easily treated. Dr. Vagafi, there's been a lot in the press recently about xenotransplantation. What is that, and how does it figure into the future of transplantation? Xenotransplantation is um, using um, an animal organ to achieve transplantation in a human, and specifically the reports that we've seen have been using pig organs and genetically being able to modify the pig with uh, what's known as CRISPR-Cas technology, um, which has really developed over the last uh, five, seven years. So that ability to modify the pig to allow it to be more acceptable for transplantation has really moved the field forward. And I think the future now is going to be towards working towards clinical trials and use some of the novel immunosuppressions uh, that's coming out to help achieve uh, long-term survival. Dr. Vakfi, I want to thank you and your team for joining us today and for highlighting the, the progress that we're making in organ transplantation and also the potential for the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Until next episode, stay safe and stay healthy.